Yeah, it is really just a privilege to be able to share uh, what I believe God has placed in my heart for us today and to be able to lead us in it. And so um, if you were not here with us last week, um, one of the scriptures we picked up was in 2 Corinthians 3, where God speaks about, um, or sorry, Paul speaks about um, that we, those who behold uh, the image of God or behold the glory of God are being transformed. And the untitled message, being transformed. Being transformed from one image to, uh, or into the same image. And into the same image. And that's God's heart for us. And so the, the, what, I, what I picked up, um, uh, what I picked up on was basically that um, change. You know, we head into a new year. And I spoke on, on um, uh, New Year's resolutions and, and uh, the su- success rate of those. Um, and uh, change is inevitable. But growth is optional. It is optional. And so there's a real risk that we come in here and um, every week, week in, week out, and we leave just the same. And it's not God's heart for us because actually if we have a true understanding of the scripture, we are being transformed. We're in a process. And so to recognize that process. And so this morning, um, what I feel God wants to do is actually one of those aspects of change that he wants to bring about, one of those aspects of growth that he wants to grow up, us up into is actually uh, in the area of unity, being brought into complete unity. And um, I want to say from the outset, this is probably not one of the easiest messages to share because I realize we're all so different. Um, but it's one of the, the tools that the Lord has put in place. And so the message today is, being call, uh, is called Brought to Complete Unity. And um, I recognize, you know, and it's important for us, the Lord can do it like this. But often, what we need to be aware of is that there is a process. And as Uncle Will Marie would say, one of uh, my heroes, he would say, you know, that actually everything is a test. Everything that we face in life, it's a test. And so are we passing our tests? And so um, <laughs> the picture Mike was supposed to use in leading this morning, he had one picture that when he, he came to my house this week and he's like, hey, man, I just need, we need to sit down. We need to talk. You know, he's, he's very intentional. I love it. And I actually want to encourage you with something, Barry. Um, at one stage when Mike started leading, I got the impression sometimes that he cared a little bit more about what he, um, how he was portrayed as a person. And I've actually seen such a shift in his life recently that I want to encourage you with, and that's in that, actually, I can see your heart genuinely is to honor God. And, and it's not so much about the skillful hands all the time. That will come. But I've seen a shift of heart that's taken place, and that's a beautiful thing, and I think that um, honors God. And, um, and so it's so cool just to, to continue watching guys being raised up and guys um, doing things for the first time. And, and, uh, and the aim is actually that none of us should just hear one person, and that's why we're actually a team here. But it's actually for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And it's something that we, we hold to. That is one of our values. That's something he has entrusted to us. And so we want to see everyone here as a part of the family grow up into all that he has. And so the picture you were supposed to use was actually um, that there's a TV program called? You can quickly. Be quick, though. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's about me. <laughs> so the, I don't know if any of you are watching the movie. Uh, or this, this is a new series on DSTV called Survive the Raft. Okay. So it's based on, uh, uh, in 1973, there was this Mexican guy um, that uh, 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 got a group of people in, I think about 11 or 14, from different cultures, different races, um, 
different characters and he put them on a raft to sail over from the Canary Islands to Mexico with one common goal um, and that was to survive, so to catch fish, to literally su survive it. And, and, and I think the survival, the eating skills and getting the resources were quite easy, but getting along was another story. And it actually became an epic fail where they actually wanted to kill this Mexican guy. Um, and it gave me a picture of um, what happened, uh, how, how the body looks, how a church looks. There's, there's, I, d I think there's so many different cultures, so many different um, characters that naturally we shouldn't get along. It's not, it, 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 you know, it's not going to work. And coming to church is just one ex, uh, ex, um, sorry, aspect of being part of a body. It's literally, it's about the everyday after that. It's, it's living together, working together, holding each other accountable. Um, let's face it, we're living in a, in a, in a, in a world that's, that's full of fleshly things. And we can't please God in the flesh. But together, working through these things, we please him and, and the body is formed. Thanks. That's why I said short, because you're going to start stealing half my preach. All right. Uh, thanks, Mike. That does help bring a little bit of clarity. And so that picture of actually everyone in a raft, that's what I was after, is the picture of everyone in a raft. And actually, eventually, you know, it's a great idea to start with <laughs> until you get to know people. And then you see what ticks them off. And they become prickly. And then the one guy doesn't sleep and he's grumpy in the morning. And like Lindy was explaining last night to us. So, um <laughs> We're still going to pray for you, Lindy, after this, okay? <laughs> um, but basically, you know, one of the areas that I, uh, that I, as mentioned here, one of the growth aspects that I, befe I feel he wants to bring is just like it says in Proverbs 27, where it says, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And um, one, of the, one of the hardest things, I think, is to be shaped by people around you. It really is. Like, if I consider just even our short time in, in church. I know many of you guys have been in church for years, but it's not easy to be sharpened by someone else. Not always easy. And so I want to give us a little bit of a, um, if you have been in church for any length of time, you'll realize that actually church is pretty much a sociological miracle. And what I mean by that is, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Tate family. You heard of the Tate family? No. Okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. All right. So there's old man dictates who wants to run everything, while Uncle Rotate tries to change everything. Their sister, Agitate, stirs up plenty of trouble with the help of her husband, Irritate, and their son, Debilitate, is often a bad influence on other children. Sound, sound, is this accurate so far? Okay. Whenever new projects are suggested, Hesitate and his wife, Vegetate, want to wait until next year. Disorientate has never quite figured out what is going on, and Grandpa Dissertate um, will talk on and on on any subject we can give a chance. Then there is Aunt Imitate, who wants our church to be like all the others. There's Devastate, provides the voice of doom. And of course, there are the black sheep of the family. Fragmentate, seems to always be stirring up division. Apostate, has formed his own following. And, and Amputate, has completely cut himself off from the church. But not all the members of the Tate family are bad. Brother Facilitate is quite helpful in church matters. Uncle Capacitate, I'm saying that right, yes, capacitate is always helping others. Cousins cogitate and meditate are always thinking things over and lending helpful hands. 
annotate helps keep the records for the church. The twins orientate and rehabilitate a very good administering to the new and struggling members. But let's not forget Uncle Potentate. I don't even know what that word meant until I looked it up. Who feels he has to run the whole congregation single-handedly his way, but complains that no one's getting involved. And, we need, and need, we, need we neglect Uncle Lamentate, who complains incessantly about the sorry state of society and how things were way better when he was a kid. <laughs> and I, when I saw that, I thought, wow, man, that is so true. And, and the scary thing is I fall into that category, man. Somewhere in there, I've got some sort of Tate family gene, whether it be good or bad. And, um, and the problem is, um, and, and let me say this, if you, if you don't feel like you fall into that, it's okay. You most, you most likely are disorientating, you just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> so, so it's okay. Somewhere in there, uh, I'm guaranteeing you, uh, you know of someone or have fallen into that. And, um, and there aren't many, I want to say this, so there aren't many institutions these days, as Mike said, that where people would come in um, and be so different and yet have the ability to get along. If you think of the different cultures, the different backgrounds, the different upbringings, the different schools of thought, the different theologies, and um, one of the things that I, I just the Lord placed in my heart today or, or this week was that, that we would, would not be known for those who have a zeal for or, or, or aren't known for a love for God and His people that we are known for our zeal for doctrinal purity. Like it's like something that actually, you know, that this, that it is truth. But he said that the world would know by the love that we have for one another. And sometimes I think, sometimes I think in our best interest to honor God and to be law-abiding citizens and to do everything right, we miss the fact that actually He's given incredible opportunity for the people around us. And so this aspect of growth, this aspect of coming through into complete unity, I want to pick up is actually seeing the responsibility for the person sitting next to you. Seeing the responsibility of the person sitting next to you. Because I realized that actually we're so prone to coming in and to sitting next to the same people week in and week out because comfortable. And we're going to look at the example of Jesus and actually what he did. <laughs> because he was also quite comfortable, I'm sure. <laughs> but he didn't stay there. And so it's a miracle that despite the differences, we actually are, when we get it right, and when we are experiencing a, an element of that complete unity, when something is happening amongst us, we're able to actually look like a functioning family. And it's probably one of the biggest testimonies to a lost and broken world is that they would walk in here, they would look at us and be able to go, oh my goodness, these people are so different. <laughs> From young to old, I haven't seen people that are so different before, and yet they look the same. <laughs> it's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. Would you agree? Okay, well, that's cool. That's, we're getting somewhere. Okay, so understand, we need to understand this, that actually this has been a part of God's plan all along. All right, and so through the cross, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures, and you're welcome to go and look at them after. I'll give you the references, but in order to keep this, I want to give us kind of a timeline that we need to work off, but I, I do want to just reference the scriptures so that if you come to me afterwards or you need to go and look up or take notes, you, you can. Um, but through salvation, 
uh, Jesus' plan was to actually bring salvation to all men, to all men. And so the walking out of that, what does that look like? <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, he says that in Matthew uh, 16, 24, where, where um, he says to them, if anyone should follow me. I don't know if we have that. Did I give you that one? No. Okay, it's in, in view of trying to keep this short. Okay, Jesus says to his disciples, um, and this is what our walking out looks like. He says, if anyone should follow me, they should deny themselves. They should pick up their cross, and they should follow after. They should deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow after. And you know what's the interesting thing is I, I commented on Ina's cross around her neck, and I'm not picking on her, but it was just like a little, oh, I saw it, is the cross has become quite a comfortable thing for us. It's like this thing we hang around our neck or we find on the Bible or we hang it in the church somewhere. We don't have one, but, you know. And it's become this thing of comfort. And I want to say it is because it's the means of salvation. It's the way it happened. And yet to the disciples, when Jesus said this, it was a totally different thing. It was actually a true understanding. If you have a true understanding of what I'm saying to you right now, what it looks like to deny yourself, to pick up that cross and to follow. And the disciples would have seen many crucifixions. And so they're looking at this and going, no, God, like how? Is this truly the way that we're going to follow you? And we need to understand it because I don't think we've quite got it into us what it looks like to deny yourself. And it's why we're finding it so hard to fight certain things that we form in the flesh. And the Spirit's waging war against them and we're sickling. It's because we haven't learned what it looks like to properly deny ourselves. When someone kicks you, you shouldn't feel it. You should die to yourself. It's no longer the eye that lives. But it's Christ that lives in me. And so we need to understand that when he says, you know, that I'm going to pick up, you need to pick up your cross. You need to deny the life that you live now. It's no longer found in you. It's found in me. You need to pick your cross up. And you need to go and die. It's probably the most humiliating thing that they could have ever done. If it was a Roman crucifixion, they would have seen many of them. And the disciples knew exactly what it meant. This is not something we just hang around our neck. We need to get this into us. When you look at the book of Acts, you know, in order to have what they had, we've got to get what they got. And we need to see what they've seen. We need to think like this. This is not just, this is okay. I'm sorry if it's coming across a little bit. I, I want to emphasize this because uh, until it comes, I'm giving us a little bit more of a, a track here, because unless we understand these things, loving the person sitting next to you is going to seem like an incredible feat, <laughs> an impossible feat at times. So we need to understand that actually he's asked us to lay our way of thinking, the things we deem important. Our lives are no longer found in that. There's a profound... Hmm? Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Great encourager. <laughs> Barnabas Bodine. Uh, through the, so through the cross, another awesome thing is, you know, through the cross we is our means of salvation. God's will for us actually to all come to salvation, all men. But it's actually for, for those who were foreign to the promises, those who were not, weren't Jews, we need to recognize actually that at once we were far off, Ephesians 2.11. At once we were far off. <laughs> 
but we've been brought close by the blood of His Son. We were once far off. <laughs> Sorry, it's worked this in me for about a week. <laughs> and this meant for us that actually the dividing wall of hostility got taken down. That actually in this, His purpose, His purpose in it was to create from two, one new humanity, one new man. And so we need to recognize, actually, consequentially, we'll, you can read in two, two, uh, Ephesians 2.11, and now we're picking up on 19, where it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Look at the person next to you and say, I am no longer a foreigner. <laughs> I am no longer a stranger. But I am a fellow citizen. All right, beautiful. <laughs> Just checking you're awake. <laughs> and a member of the household of God. How cool is that? And so when we think about, wow, Lord, it wasn't only that you came and you died, but you, you lived amongst us and you taught us what it looks like to live now a life <laughs> worthy of the calling to which you're calling us. Wow. And we get to be, not only that, we get to be a part of his household. Okay. And we're all like, yes. <laughs> if we truly have understanding of what that means. We're all like, yes. But then Romans 12, 5 says, we're also part of the same body. <laughs> individually members, sorry, individually part of the same body, but members of one another. No. No, Lord. <laughs> and it sounds like a glorious thing until you actually understand what the Lord's trying to say here. It's that you're members of one another. So you're part of the household, we understand that, yes, Lord, but members of one another, what does that actually look like? And so the area of growth that I'm talking about this morning, that I feel like we actually do well in, for the most part, relationally. I'm looking ahead and I'm going, you know, when we give more people to speak into our lives, when we give more, as we get to know one another, and we give each other room to speak into our lives, it's awesome. It's awesome. But it's also creating room for offense, as you get to know them, they start saying things that actually they don't know your full background, so they're saying things that maybe were a product of your upbringing, and it just, it just pokes on that thing, and then, ah. And so all of a sudden, we start seeing a lot of people going, oh, I'm a member of the household of God, but him. Nah, Lord. <laughs> I can entrust my life to the creator of heaven and earth, but madness. No, Lord. I know his background. I know his background. I, I, no, there's some things that irritate me about him. Lord, I can't. His view on this, I can't. He says, yeah, you're household of God, but you're members of one another. And so actually my duty to him is actually, well, I know. It's become more like God. And to honor him with my life, it means that, well, I'm going to have to work through that. Hmm. Now I'm going to have to get to know him. That we're going to have to have conversations. And that I would push past the walls, the things that irritate me. That I would push past the things that maybe are his issues now. But if I, if I pick up on them, I don't think we'll ever be able to have a conversation again. And I'm going to bridge build. 
how do I build bridge so that when the time is right and we feel it in God, we're able to actually convey, we're able to take that 10-ton truck across that 10-ton bridge, not a one-ton bridge. You see, I th- there's so many things that have gone wrong, just even in our short time within church. You see, the actual communication breakdown was the key thing to offense, was the key thing to people leaving the church. And it's not God's heart. It's not God's heart. And, I, and I, he's, he's broken down that wall. <laughs> and he has made us a members of the household, and he's made us members of one another. And so, is this a case so far? So, I remember actually talking about, you know, um, coming in with our, our being broken vessels. I recognize that we're actually still broken vessels, but we do have an opportunity to leak something of his glory. <laughs> I, recognize I'm a, uh, I, I recognize that I'm a broken vessel. <laughs> but, and I made choices, and I made things, I made mistakes, and my mom and dad, they did an incredible job of trying to, in many ways, with the, with the, the gift that was given them. But I had choice at the end of the day. I had a choice at the end of the day. And so when I came into church and I gave my life to the Lord, there were ramifications of cycle, cycles and things that need to be broken. And so even my view was like I came to know God and I was like, I fell in love with Him. It was something I'd never experienced before. Stacey and I gave a life to the Lord on the same day <laughs> by God's grace and mercy towards us. Because I'm not sure we we still would have been together or even serving Jesus. And he knew. And um, as we journeyed it together, I realized, yeah, man, God, I'm not like you. The more I got to know him, I realized I'm not like him. But my desire was, I want to be like you, God. And so as I allowed him to shift and change these things in me, I I remember actually many, many times having hard conversations with people because I understood that I could, will, I could easily give my life to the creator of heaven and earth. But I didn't trust people in certain areas. I had a, I had a thing against teachers. I never finished school. <laughs> and you like the Lord's humor, and yet I'm standing up here teaching you guys, or preaching. I never finished school. I didn't like teachers. And now I'm friends with them. There's a couple of you here. And uh, I got involved with drugs and other stuff. And, and when, I, when I came to know God, I realized that, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to, God, from what I'm seeing here, I'm going to have to entrust my lives to, to other people, to leaders around me. It was not a comfortable thought. You know, you stand on scriptures like um, my mom drummed into me in my whole life, you know, um, 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture, it's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, you know? Who needs people? The problem was, you can't be taught if you're not teachable. You can't be corrected unless you've actually gone, hey, Mike, I recognize maybe there's something in me that doesn't represent God well. If you see it, won't you point it out to me? And if you actually have a true understanding, <laughs> rebuke, maybe it, it might come in time, but there'll be a lot less of them. And then it's also a positioning of our hearts to go, Yo, Lord, I want to be trained in righteousness. What does that look like? And then we need to have an understanding that it is word and spirit. Most definitely. You cannot have one without the other. But we need to understand that God has used people since the beginning. He will use people until the day he comes. 
to you our hearts are open. <laughs> Reminded of that scripture where Paul says, you know, like, um, uh, where he's speaking, I think he's speaking to the Corinthians, so it's not a monos, where he says, you know, um, I don't know if it's in context, I'm not going to share it, sorry. Um, <laughs> and so a good question to ask ourselves, oh, let me, sorry, let me backtrack quickly. Um, and uh, sorry, I left this out of the whole testimony part. When I came to Josh Jen and I, and I met with some of the leaders and they started to see a little bit of potential in, in me and uh, my ability to, or not my ability, what God was doing in me to actually respond and be obedient to what he was asking of me. I remember sitting down and one of the guys said, he said to me, and he's been here, he's taught, he's one of my best friends today. His name is Mike Davis. If you don't know him, really, he'll rub you up the wrong way. And it's exactly what the Lord put. He put him in my path because he's a teacher, an incredible teacher of his word. And he rubbed me up properly the wrong way. <laughs> he still does sometimes, but I love him. Eh? And, <laughs> and, and he said to me, you know what, Mike, you may not see this, but you're called to lead a church one day. Maybe even plant one. And you've got eldership on your life. I thought, who the heck are you? Um, and now he would later say that, he was learning something in the process too, in terms of timing, when to have convos. He, had, he has very little social skills. <laughs> he wouldn't mind me saying that either. Um, <laughs> if Mike, if you're listening. And, uh, and he has very little social skills. Incredible teacher, but put him in front of 5,000 people is incredible. <laughs> but put him here in this and he's like, oh, shush, you know, I cannot, you know. It, it is a sickle for him sometimes. And, and as he said that, I realized I hold such an offense towards this guy. Because I felt like he reminded me of school teachers when they just they were expecting something of me and they placed unreal expectations and trying to fast forward my thinking and I, I can't catch on and I, and I felt all these insecurities started rising up in me and everything in me was just like get away <laughs> and it's like I'd hear everyone else in church until he stood up and I'm like gone. And so my responsibility was actually when I heard the when I when the Lord pointed out to me, was that I went to him, and actually, if you intend an accusation against an elder, I went to him, and I said, Mike, actually, in front of our whole leadership team, and I said, I'm so sorry. I've entertained an accusation against you. I've been bitter in my heart towards you. Won't you forgive me? Man, I can tell you, that guy has literally become one of our good friends, <laughs> um, just because we pushed past the uncomfortable, and we were obedient to his word. We did what he said, and, and God honors that, man. He honors that. And uh, my, well, one of the things I read this week, which deeply touched me, is from, also from Wilmer. He really is a hero. He's no longer with us, but uh, he was a good guy. Um, when a person allows Christ to direct the affairs of their life, when a person allows Christ to direct the affairs of their life, the kingdom of God and its attributes start to become visible, and it works in and through you. It'll work into you. And it'll start becoming, and it'll start to come through you. You become a conduit for the kingdom, out in the one side, out the other. And so, he never designed us for it to come in to church, to sit, to fill a chair, to eat, and then to go out and do the same thing next week. Never. <laughs> never. It was never his plan. He wants us to walk in the fullness. And so I will leave you this, with these questions. Have you allowed Christ to direct the affairs of your life? Have you allowed Christ to direct the affairs of your life? Or does your career 
is your family. Those are hard things to deal with. And those are all good things. They really are. They really are. Now, I can, we can go back and forth with Scripture here and there, and, and they are. They're incredible things. But our primary goal was never to be put here for our career. If you have an understanding of what God has asked of you, and you've come now, you've denied yourself, you've picked up your cross, and you're following Him, His priorities, the things He's died for, becomes the things you live for. They will become the things you live for. <laughs> will you allow Him to dictate this in your life? Will you allow Him to dictate? And are the attributes of the kingdom visible in your life? Think about your life right now. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. <laughs> but think about your life right now. And are the attributes of the kingdom visible? And are they coming into you? And if this is of some value this morning, what will you do with it? Because that's the change. That's the change is inevitable. You're changing one way or another. You're becoming more like him or you're not. Growth is optional. And I feel like God will say to, you, to us this morning, will you allow me to grow you in this area? Will you allow me to dictate your thinking? Will you allow me to dictate your time? Will you allow me to dictate how much time you place in your career, in your family? Will you allow me to change that process of changing your mind, to think like I think? And we'll get to that. You, know, you see, because Paul says to the church in Philippi, and he's writing from prison in Philippians 2, 1, 5. He says, so, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. <laughs> Sheesh, no small ask. <laughs> then he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's why I said your responsibility toward one another. We cannot excuse that. We are members of the household of God, but we are members of one another. And then we need to allow God to bring us into this place of complete unity. And it says, it goes on in verse 4, uh, sorry, in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, this is the mind he's asking us to have. And actually, it's the, it really is just the example of Christ. That's exactly what he did. For though he was in the form of, godly, of God, he did not count equality with God. He became a servant. And we need to realize that we're doing the same. He took the, the lower position. He said, Mike, I can't leave you in this place. Life given to cocaine and other things, the things... I look at his life, I go, oh my goodness. <laughs> God is real. God is real. <laughs> if it wasn't as evident in my life, I look at his and I go, goodness. Standing up in front of church took two years, <laughs> two years to get saved. <laughs> and interestingly enough, he sat under incredible teaching. He sat up many, 
moves with his spirit within Melkor's congregation. It's the moment Barnes and I went to speak to him. So funny enough, he used people. And obviously, we were sharing gospel. We were sharing truth. We were sharing. It is the message. <laughs> he is real. And can I say this? Humility will be one of the greatest keys. Though in the form of God, didn't count equality. Leaves heaven, comes down, dies, and is raised to life. Are we allowing him space to bring us through into complete unity? And so can I just say this in the ending? It is so much easier to build church without looking at these things. <laughs> Should I say, it's so much easier to co-label with God <laughs> or not <laughs> and build differently. But we end up with churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. And that's not the way that Andrew has asked us to lead. That's not the way that God has told Andrew to lead. And that's not the way that I will lead. I feel God is leading. It doesn't matter whether we fill this hall or whether 10 people arrive. But if there is depth to our relationship with God, if we have true understanding of what that looks like, you only need 10 you only need 12 is a good number. We could stick to 12. <laughs> what would it look like if each of us were like that? I often think of that. My goodness, Lord. <laughs> and so for a moment, can we just actually have a look at what, consider what Jesus desires for us. And actually, we're going to read it in John 17. And we're, as I said, we're going to close with this. John 17, 21 to 23. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God's heart for us is to be one. He doesn't just place us in the household and place us one next, next to one another for us to do our own thing. It's his heart is for us to think, be like-minded, to carry the same heart, the same mind. And although it may look different at times, let me say that. We've got congregations that hold ex very much the same values and all are on their own. <laughs> We've got very different congregations. <laughs> so almost as each have the same flavor, and yet they carry the same heart, same mind, same purpose. And so if God is joining you to us, we need to understand, I would like us to understand this. Is this the furthest thing from an institution? We started with that, and that's why it, gets, it should get along. It is not an institution. It's a family. And we need to recognize that hard conversations come up in families. Well, they should. They shouldn't be swept under the... And will we be willing that when they come, that we would work through those things, that we would show the love of God, that we would take the lower position, that we would respond, respond in humility...
because he gives grace to the humble. And that we would commit to one another to actually being there for one another, loving on one another, displaying Jesus to one another, and being formed into a family. Because each of us individually are being formed. It's because actually together we'll betray something of the glory of God to a lost and broken world. That's his plan for us into this coming. Can we stand?